0: everyone, welcome back to the second episode of Pop Swap, discounting our little Halloween special. Today we're going to be talking about our recommendations that we had for each other last month and what we thought of each other's picks. What are we going to talk about first, Dean? Do you want to say hello?
1: Hello everybody. Yeah, that's right. Um, Should we give a bit of a spoiler warning maybe? Uh... Absolutely, yes.
0: So if you were not around for the first episode, we recommended two items to each other, two pop culture things to ingest. Um, one was a comic, Why the Last Man, the other one was a movie, The Invisible Man, and we will be deep diving deep into spoiler territory, so if you want to avoid that annoyance, um, you can pause now, come back to us after you've inhaled said <laughs> comic and movie. Or you could go back and listen to the first episode and then join us on our merry adventure here today.
1: Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, that's that's the plan, isn't it? Because um, I guess this is a, the official launch, really, of the, the standard format of the podcast. Yeah. We couldn't quite do it with the first episode and the Halloween was a bit of a change, a yeah. departure. So, yeah, if you've not checked out the first one, go back, start off here and...
0: You won't have anything spoiled. Yeah, basically we're going to nail it this time. That's what we're saying. <laughs> Dino, what do you want to chat about first? Do you want to...
1: Yeah, how did you enjoy The Invisible
0: Man? Did you uh, you check it out? I take it. Oh, yes, I did. Um, you recommended quite a dark movie for me, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly did. Yes, I had a miserable time and I loved it. <laughs> There's nothing like a movie that makes you feel dreary and dead on the inside. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. Um, it, I thought it was a, I thought it was a really, really, really cool movie, and I tend to like Blumhouse Productions. Tend mm-hmm. to, and um, they're one of my favorite movie, um, production companies at the moment, and I think they give talent room to shine. And I think Mm -hmm. I really do like Lee Wannell as well. He's a director that I I tend to enjoy, you know, Insidious and his other horror movies. But I thought from the get-go, the modern twist on this movie was quite clear and, you know, how they were framing it as, okay, so essentially we have a couple and the character from the H.G. Wells novel and the... I think, was there an old movie in the um, 50s? James Whale, yeah, yeah. made the
1: original yeah. for uh, Universal, yeah.
0: So we have the, the optics professor person, sci- mad scientist guy, and his girlfriend, clearly in an abusive relationship, and the entire movie is obviously from her perspective, which I enjoyed greatly. Um, I thought the... So basically the premise is, for people who may not have seen it, or if you're joining us after watching it, obviously the protagonist has escaped an abusive relationship with this mad optic scientist person, and he has learned how to turn himself invisible. After she escapes, we seemingly learn that he has committed suicide, but... Strange things start to happen. We feel that his presence around her. And eventually, of course, we learn that he has turned himself or learned how to turn himself invisible and he torments her. And it's a bit of an on the nose metaphor for trauma and from abusive relationships and how they follow you around. But I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the modernization of the plot, it made it a bit more creative, even if it was a little not forced I don't want to use that word Mm -hmm. but definitely quite obvious so I I, I tend to enjoy subtle metaphors in film this one was a pretty obvious one but it worked for me it worked
1: yeah I feel like the uh what I guess we call it like the I guess the popular term be like the me too sort of aspect of the uh the plot could seem like quite trite and forced like you say but I thought it was i thought it's really cleverly used like i thought it's really smartly handled the way they did that because it it subverts a few things like the original the original movie like the uh universal film that's kind of have you seen that one by the way sorry the james well original
0: when i was a kid i barely remember yeah yeah uh
1: well i I love the fact that like this for one unlike a few of the remakes sort of embraces the fact that it it is from a heritage of actually being a horror film so it's meant to be quite terrifying and sort of creepy to watch but um like the original sort of in a way is almost like a bit of a wish fulfilment movie. There's like a cheeky sort of humour to it and it's still quite yeah. unsettling to watch. It's very it's a very uh, sort of sinister performance, the lead performance. He's like an anti-hero, the invisible man, in the mm-hmm. original one, for anyone who hasn't seen it. Um and what this version really cleverly does, like you say, is it changes the protagonist from being the invisible man to being the victim of the invisible man. Yeah. So that's a really, really smart move, I think, because it sort of addresses the fact that you should feel slightly guilty about this sort of fantasy aspect of, yeah. oh, what could potentially could I do if nobody could see me? What kind of like grey moral lines could I cross? Yeah, you'd, you'd, and, and that's what the audience is doing when they watch the original Invisible Man. But what this very smartly does is it kind of makes you the victim of that individual as an audience and, member.
0: And and uh, watching the movie, you feel violated every time mm-hmm. you get that creepy crawly shiver down your spine especially that scene where she goes to stand outside and you see the breath the like the air and you can see her breath and then you can see this random breath just coming out Mm -hmm. of nowhere that's so creepy and it's it's honestly it is very timely it may come across a little forced if you watch it in the current time but it's a metaphor that works for me and the way the movie handles it it's brilliant and the ending is a little bit of inverted wish fulfillment <laughs> you know and um just to go deep into spoilers right away when she kills that fucker i <laughs> thrust my fist into the air i was like you go girl <laughs> power yeah power to you yeah, it is very satisfying, isn't yeah. it? Definitely. Yeah. Um,
1: I don't know about you, but I also sort of like viewed it in a way that it's a really it's a really interesting take on the slasher movie as well, because in a way it's a slasher film is, yeah. with an invisible villain. Yeah, is that, that's mm. such a genius idea. I think I think that's the one thing that I loved about it is like even though I know like the original does have those horror aspects, but it's it never really any of the versions that I can think that have been made never really sort of step into slasher territory too much. Yeah. Um, and what I thought was really smart about this is it it plays that brilliantly for lots of moments of suspense and lots of tension when you're watching things on screen because the the fact that you've got a typical sort of slasher-esque scenario playing out but you have no idea within the room where the villain could be at any given time just adds so much tension it's such a great idea and
0: then when you see a random floating knife and Mm. in the moment I was like why aren't you reacting to this (laughs) because it was so slow the movement of the knife any time the the knife came up I was like why aren't you reacting to this but in the moment you'd totally freeze because you'd be like what is happening here? You know? And then of course, oh, slice of throat. There you go. But um, <laughs> what I really enjoyed was that we barely got any scenes with the invisible man himself. I actually mm-hmm. really liked it. And it—it it, I felt it was possibly going down a road at the very end of leaving a hint of doubt in us that was it actually him the whole time. But... It then swayed it back and I, I'm not sure I would have liked had they stuck to that because I, I didn't want him to be ambiguous, you know? Um. Yeah.
1: Or the brother to do it. is it, that's brother? it. the brother? That's it. Yeah, she, that would have been a cop out as well I think yes. if it would have just turned out to be the brother. Yeah.
0: So like yeah. full spoilers, Um. The, she ends up shooting the invisible man, she gets him in this like climactic moment and then she takes off the mask and it's actually the brother lawyer who has been helping him, you know, essentially fuck over the protagonist um, for the entire movie. And it seemingly leads us to believe that he might have been in the suit the whole time and not the abusive boyfriend. But that ambiguity only really lasted for maybe five minutes for me until she goes to visit him then in the house at the end. And you see it's, it's really cleverly played and it's brilliantly displayed as the... Uh, apologetic, abusive, dickhead boyfriend. This control freak who is now trying to pamper her and be like all apologetic and tiptoe around her at the very end, you know? And then the flip, the change that she has finally outsmarted him and she's finally one step ahead of him and fucking kills him. I love it yeah
1: yeah that stuff all that stuff with the brother uh, offering her things and him like i just think like like say it's got it's got so many great things about just the idea of like uh, that type of relationship where it's entirely about controlling the other individual and that individual getting satisfaction by the fact that like they have the control and they have the power all the time like saying the moment that the Scales tip the other way, and she kind of gets yeah. some sense of like her own willpower back again. It's like, like I so satisfying watching that climax sort of play off.
0: And I thought as well, just again, to kind of bring it back to sort of like, I hate to call these things political. Uh, discussion or whatever, because I I don't think having female protagonists is a political (laughs) ideology. I just think it's common (laughs) sense, you know. But it's very satisfying for the time for just commentary on Hollywood itself, you know. So here we have a movie about the invisible man and how cool he must be. But no, not really, you know. And it's almost like it's a commentary itself on power in Hollywood because this guy the protagonist is a really rich guy and he's a you know got all this smart tech he's a little bit like possibly like Tony Stark or something people that you would generally look up to as protagonists in film but guy's a psycho you know and then the Mm -hmm. woman comes along who has been under his thumb for the entire film and everybody thinks she's crazy nobody believes her it's just it's one giant metaphor for for me too, for all these you know allegations that came out against you know pe- powerful men in positions in Hollywood or in positions of power in Hollywood and nobody mm-hmm. believes the woman and then the career is done, your life is over, whatever it's that's what this woman goes through in this movie, you know it's the same thing yeah. And I think for
1: someone to like Elizabeth Moss to have actually chosen that project, yeah, it it's, it says a lot. Like about that script, how strong that script must have been for yeah. her to. Because I mean, it's not it's not the typical vehicle like an actress like her. You would expect she doesn't need to jump into doing like some B movie yeah. kind of horror flick. Like that's that's not what, the trajectory her career is going on. She's an incredible actress, and she could probably take a pick of plenty of projects out there. Yeah. I think the fact that she chose that. Um, says it all really like i mean she she carries the whole film brilliantly as well i thought she's
0: great in it definitely yeah she's she's brilliant and i i I like that we only get like one or two lines from the the invisible man himself and by the time you do meet him you're like nah you creep me out i don't like you at all i don't believe a word you're saying that's it's good you know Mm -hmm. so i did i really 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 enjoyed it um and it was reminding me of oh it's slipping my mind now anyway What I was going to say earlier was um, that I tend to hate (laughs) when our protagonist, not that I hate it, I actually really like it because it really engages me. But I hate when the protagonist of a movie knows something or is experiencing something and nobody believes them. (laughs) <laughs> it's the most frustrating thing. and everybody thinks the person is crazy because of course you wouldn't believe that an invisible man is stalking you. like mm-hmm. it's it is uh, it's it's grating. But you take a step back and you're like, okay, this has been the experience of a lot of <laughs> women in this in these <laughs> positions, you know, and it's it just drives home then, the message of the movie, you know? Yeah, 100%, yeah. So the way you feel, the frustration that you feel watching it is 100% intentional and really, really clever, you know? Instead of just, you know, oh, it's Leonardo DiCaprio is on an island. Is he crazy? Hmm, we don't know. <laughs> it's it's a bit more playful, you know, in that with that sense. But this one, it does, uh, there's a real, I guess, learning curve for it, you know? Um, and I do, I do think as well that in terms of the content of the movie, it could be a potentially difficult thing for a woman to watch. So I sat down, me and my girlfriend sat down to watch it, and I think she watched the first 15 minutes and was like, nope, don't really want to watch this movie, you know? Because mm-hmm. it's a kind of horror film that is real, that is absolutely plausible and very topical yeah. and very timely. And it's it was like... She just got up left the room. It's like, no, this, this isn't happening, you know? And I think mm-hmm. it, a lot of possibly women would have that reaction to it, yeah. especially if you've been in a relationship like that, you know? But again, it's another strength of the film, you know?
1: And uh, hopefully not a lot of people have, from the other side, not a lot of men have kind of, I don't say men, but, you know, not a lot of people have uh, kind of just dismissed it thinking like, oh, this is going to be some kind of like, You know, trite kind of overtly political message, sort of Me Too type of thing. And they're just like, oh, I don't need to see that. The Invisible Man's not even in it. If that's your attitude, then I'm sorry, but you're a bit of an idiot because you're missing out (laughs) on a really fantastic film. (laughs) Yeah, get your head Um, checked.
0: If that's your mentality on the thing, no, it's just that's being a little bit short sighted Mm -hmm. to make an optical pun. (laughs) (laughs) That's very good. Let's talk about my recommendation for you, Dino. Um, what did I recommend to you and how did you get on with
1: it? <laughs> uh, you recommended to me the comic series Why the Last Man. Oh, indeed which, I did. Yeah, which was great. Uh, yeah, really, really loved that. Not uh, not necessarily any cheerier than our last subject matter, really. No, again, yeah. Uh, the gist for everybody. Uh, yeah, so a plague wiping the earth and... Uh, all the males dying out yeah and all the all the females left to survive uh, with the exception of a, a gentleman called yorick yeah. and his little primate partner a little monkey called ampersand yeah um, who are the only male survivors on the planet it seems and yeah they have to kind of walk the earth yorick is searching for his lost love Beth Um who uh, at the start we discover she's in Australia at the time that the plague hits. So that kind of sets him off on a little mission to wander around the earth and try and survive, hiding the fact that he's alive from most of the female population and try and relocate Beth with the help of some friends. Yeah, Yeah, that's the general
0: gist. That is his quest. He goes on his hero's quest to find his girl and uh, learns a lot about himself and girls in the process <laughs> <laughs> he does yeah uh, it's,
1: uh, just great relationships in it between the characters and stuff like um especially between him and the way i don't know maybe i'll be reaching the ending too quickly by going into that but uh yeah the relationship between agent 355 yeah uh, she's called 350 isn't she that's kind of like her nickname yeah Uh, yeah just their relationship together is great just the way that friendship develops and then sort of blossoms into something slightly different as it carries on yeah Um, until we reach heartbreak (laughs) (laughs) yeah definitely full on utter heartbreak yeah And uh, Alison, I think Alison, Doctor Alison Mann, she was mm. one of my favourite characters in it. I
0: thought she was a really, really great character. Interesting name for um, a character there, Brian Kavan. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. Yeah, definitely. It's <laughs> becoming quite a feminist episode, this isn't it? It's, I I didn't realise it, it actually.
1: Yeah. No, I, I think we subconsciously have done this. Yeah. <laughs> but neither of us, neither of us, were setting out to do this <laughs> <laughs> uh, from the outset. But yeah, it seems so. I never actually thought of that until now. Yeah. Um, did you, uh, did you
0: so you enjoyed it anyway?
1: Yeah, I did. Uh, yeah, I loved it. Um, I'm trying to think, I, I've, I've made myself some little bullet points here of, sort of <laughs> highlighted moments and things just to keep my memory fresh with it. But, um, the, the, I've got a note here saying astronauts, so uh, oh, the, the Russian
0: astronauts, was it?
1: yeah, during mm. the opening actually. Because I was thinking to myself during the opening of the story where there's a brief mention, I think they kind of cut to a scene where. Uh, you're at like NASA HQ or something and you see them talking, uh, at least you hear it on the communication on the radio between people that are up in space and the astronauts communicating back and forth. And I was thinking to myself like, oh, wait a minute, are they alive? Because I was thinking at the time, okay, so if they're alive, Mm. is this something that has only affected males on the planet or is it affected, like, how far does this go? In that case, what's the cause? 'Cause, uh, Yeah. Um, i do like as it plays out that the cause of the plague though it's kind of intrigues you it isn't necessarily the purpose or the point of the story by any means it's a total MacGuffin
0: to me i Mm -hmm. i don't even like and i'll be honest with you i finished reading the book a while ago now and i do not remember what caused the plague and i don't care because it's not what the story (laughs) was about to me yeah
1: well, I could get to that in a bit, yeah. actually, a bit further on, because I got a, a note about that, because I was curious about it myself. Uh, another another thing I, I enjoyed were the daughters of the Amazon as characters. Oh, They brilliant. were cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wonder how much research you did on like that. Like the idea of like removing the breast and, and stuff, and that being done breast. as like, part of a ritual. Is yeah. that something that Amazons in tribes did traditionally I'm just curious I, like how much that is artistic license and how I much have that is no idea
0: but my guess grounded in history my personal guess with that one was obviously Brian K. Vaughan being a massive comic book nerd wanted to play mm-hmm. with the idea of the Amazons in Wonder Woman on their own little island of you know matriarchy uh, okay. basically I think he was just playing around mm-hmm. with that but again I don't know oh, right. that's just speculation yeah um,
1: yeah and uh, and the and that's where we kind of get to know hero isn't it like his sister we yeah. kind
0: of get introduced to
1: her through them and the fact mm. that she's uh she's joined them and she is uh I can't even remember, I forget the name of the leader of the uh of the amazons uh but yeah she's kind of like her uh sort of right hand woman
0: yeah uh, she's like grooming her to be the next sense. leader next you know cult yeah <laughs> yeah <And> messiah <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> And
1: that kind of, that leads to a, that leads to an incident in a, pl- I've, I've, I know I'd forget names here, so I've written it down, Marisville Prison, is it? Where that's the... Uh, the female prison? That's the most sort of Walking Dead-esque scenario where yeah. like the women are there in the prison, and, sorry, the women are there in what seems like a refuge and then it turns out they're ex-convicts and that kind of yeah. gets revealed. I thought that was a very, that's a very Walking Dead yeah. <laughs> kind of like revelation.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, they, they they populate this little town and it seems that they've got a little mini society running for themselves and they're all quite mm-hmm. organized and yada yada yada. And we kind of, we've obviously find out that they had all escaped from the female prison that's yeah, a few miles down the road or whatever. Um yeah. I enjoyed the fact that not all of the characters were good. <laughs> Uh, Mm -hmm. It sounds like a really simple, silly thing to say, but the book could have become very preachy about like anti-patriarchy and this kind of stuff, which it was a little Mm -hmm. bit, but it was more highlighting hypocrisies and highlighting things that we take seriously as a species, not just men, but women too. Things that we take yeah. seriously that we shouldn't take seriously and things that are wrong with how we run society and mm-hmm. it showed that some, I've seen some people talk about it in that the fact, okay, why are we making this feminist book with a male lead and is the commentary just saying women will rule the world better? I. It wasn't like that at all. What I got from it was like, okay, if you give it complete control to one or the other, you'll fuck it up either way, you know? And I like that the book did that. Um, That there were just as many crazy bitches as there are crazy dudes (laughs) running shit around the place, you know?
1: Because I think there's two parallels between, like, for me, like, as it all plays out, and that's why I kind of mentioned that that moment, that scene, because something very key happens there, I think, that also later on there's another scene that I'll mention afterwards. Um, But during that scene, the moment where Hero kills... The woman that at that stage Yorick is kind of having this thing with and she commits that act Mm -hmm. and his reaction to that just deeply affecting him and their relationship from that moment on. And that plays that plays throughout the rest of the the story really. And like we then there's like a scene later on where he's facing the Sons of Arizona and he has to kill that woman. They have a confrontation and then Yorick shoots her. And I think those two things are very deliberate that the sister and the brother both experience that and that by the end, because it is quite I think it's quite a moving, sort of sad, very yeah. poignant ending to that story, yeah. that they are both deeply like scarred and changed for life mm-hmm. after those moments play out. Like unlike a lot of stories where that kind of thing might just be brushed over and the characters kind of recover from it afterwards. Yeah. I I love the way that story kind of Developed itself and ended because he's he is completely broken, yeah, and sort of a traumatized man by the time that story ends. And th- there's that brief flashback to him meeting his sister a few years later as well, when he's got the his head shaved and he meets her in the desert later, yeah, and she's five years later or something, going. yeah, yeah. And you can tell they're still not right. Yeah. They're, they're like still communicating with one another, but they'll never kind of forgive each other for that. Yeah, and he won't forgive himself for that. And I. And you talking about the idea that um, like what's the message of the story really on that feminist sort of bent. And I agree that I think it's it's that thing of, well, both sides of society if can take the wrong steps and you can cross the line no matter if you're a male or a female and you can't just inherently kind of push all of the negative qualities onto one sex than the other just because throughout the reputation of history men have been responsible for more war and murders and killings it doesn't mean that suddenly were women to take charge they wouldn't go exactly the same way and I think that's quite a fair sort of comment that the story makes
0: yeah Exactly. And I think people, some people had issues with that. Like I was reading reviews mm-hmm. for it when I read the book and people did have issues with it saying it was actually sexist to suggest such a thing, you know, um, which to me is ridiculous. It's, it, it, you know, mm-hmm. it's it feels like a natural human thing, you know, to be that primal and tribal and violent, you know, especially in a situation like that. But um, apart from all the kind of deeper heady weighty stuff it's also a surprisingly hilarious book oh, for yeah, a lot it, of it. is <laughs> it is hilarious I was laughing out loud reading some dialogue you know mm-hmm. um, and the guy the main character I was going to ask you did you like him at the start
1: no I didn't I uh, <laughs> actually remember, I actually remember like when I was starting this story saying to you and another friend that we have that um thinking like this guy's a bit of a cocky dick
0: yeah like, he's an I asshole. don't like him
1: very much like he's He's kind of annoying, and then as it carried on, I was like, "Actually, he's mm. growing on me." And yeah. then as it, it developed even further, I was like, "I like this guy. This guy's decent." Like I yeah. misunderstood him, <laughs> and I think I think I I kind of sometimes prefer characters like that, 100%, where it takes the work. Um, what was it, what was it now? There was a an Amazon comedy series that had started recently enough by the director of uh, Parks and Recs, I think, um, called Upload. Oh and, yeah, and
0: yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I started lighter. watching
1: that, and the protagonist in that yeah. same sort of thing, like very smarmy, cocky sort of, m- not not so much in the sense of like Yorick in this, but mm. more so like this guy is more kind of like a Johnny Bravo type of yeah. sort of like really vain, kind of up himself sort of figure. Yeah, and uh, and as the story plays out, like you start to see a different side of him, and you start to realise that some of that's an act. And exactly. he's As vulnerable as anybody else, and you really, really love him by the time this, that series is over. Yeah. Like he's a really likable character, and this is the same with Yorick. in this, like, I think it's a great, it's a great sort of like arc that he develops
0: for him. Exactly. Yeah. The, and the thing that I think I got from it was okay. So here's this guy who is essentially living the 15 year old dream of being surrounded by women and you're the only man alive you know and he behaves like that at the beginning because that's how you would Mm -hmm. behave with it at surface level just thinking about it plainly like that you know and he has this macho making jokey joke maker kind of thing going on you know (laughs) and then as you obviously peel back the layers and he peels back the layers and he gets a bit more experience and he talks and converses Mm -hmm. with these humans (laughs) he (laughs) grows as a person and you know starts to just shed that facade or that like front that he has of you know bravado and to use the term fucking toxic toxic masculinity (laughs) you know but it's done in a very kind of genuine human way you know so by the end of it he's equally as vulnerable as any of the women in the book they tend to be tougher than he is which i also like and he just comes across as a super genuine vulnerable guy you know um who was trying i love
1: the i love the ongoing gag sorry uh, but i love i love that kind of ongoing sort of gag at the start from him that like any time he sort of mentioned any interactions with women or when they sort of encounter him discover who he is like oh, yeah he just has that kind of gut reaction that he thinks he's going to be somehow like sexually assaulted yeah. that moment or something. Like he's just <laughs> expecting that people want to jump yeah. on him immediately, and it's like get over yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding?
0: yeah. Stop it, stop <laughs> it. Yeah. <laughs> but it's brilliant. It's brilliant commentary on the, just the psychological differences between men and women in those situations, you know. But yeah, what did you think of the ending? My note
1: here is very sad. Ending Yorick escapes. That's what I've written. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, just uh, I love I tend to really enjoy the end of a story where we flash forward, yeah, or we're at the end of a person's life. I don't know why I guess it's just my uh, it's my morbid curiosity about death or something, but uh I always find when stories end with characters at that time in their lives it just adds a certain kind of like emotional weight that wasn't there before, and it changes the tone quite drastically, I think of the mm-hmm. rest of the story. Uh, the way it goes, but I, it just adds to it, I think. That feels um, complete then, you know? It does, yeah.
0: It feels a bit uh, more complete.
1: When he gets visited by, who is it, like Yorick the 17th or something, I yeah. think his clone, yeah. um, such a great idea for him, like that as an excuse to put those sort of flash, what then become flashbacks in yeah. to the the gaps between that you've just missed when you've suddenly like jumped uh, so immediately from like one timeline to the next. But uh, yeah, I just thought it's really... Really poignant, really sad, him sort of escaping at the end there. It's quite beautiful in a way, though, as well. I did love the fact that he's, it like opens with the idea that there's this escape artist and he's kind of, yeah he's escaped. He's cheated the death of every other man on the planet and he's escaped that and his kind of life yeah. closed. I kind of watched the story in a way that I thought that was his way of somehow visualizing in a way that wasn't obvious. That that may be the end of that character's life. Mm-hmm. That the 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 kind of visual metaphor of like the the straight jacket kind of like flayed out in the wind at the end of the, the beautiful sort of like image of it. It's in a Y, isn't it? Its arms are sort of stretched yeah. in the air, and it, it kind of forms a Y as it floats in the air, and it says "alas" as like the last "alas, poor Yorick" as like the last yeah. word that's written in the story. I just thought that was a, a really with it sh- with it looking up to the clouds as well like i mean I'm not sure how much of a religious man he is i'm pr- probably guessing not too much but um but I just felt like th- the fact that it is on the focuses on the clouds and that's the final moment and he's kind of escaped life almost yeah. is how I sort of like took that last image and thought this is the death of yorick possibly yeah but uh that's how I don't need it. to see it so i read it yeah. yeah yeah it's beautiful ending it's um, really good yeah, the plague itself though, what, what was your theory? Because you say you couldn't quite remember it. I actually um there are moments where it plays out where the implication is that Alison's father was responsible. Yeah. And the creation of the clones caused this kind of I can't remember what they describe it as. It's some like symbiotic kind of like spread of it's like when a certain group of creatures mm. uh like experience a dramatic change in the species and that
0: I can't think of the term, what's the word? You know what I Um, thought it was originally? I thought it was like all the men or something, after this clone is created, after Alison Mann's father does his, um, or creates the clone, I think, didn't he create the first clone or something like that, um, Mm -hmm. that somehow all the men kind of feel like Yoda after Order 66 in Star Wars, <laughs> where it's just, there's a disturbance in the force and then they all just croak it. Um, yeah. That's how I interpreted <laughs> it. But I was like, I don't even care. <laughs> um,
1: well, I think the science of it was meant to be the the, the, the rough science of it. I mean, I, I don't understand it too much anyway. But what, what I was thinking was hinting at is that due to the nature of, of the fact that men are no longer needed because now we can clone. Yeah. Like uh, nature's reaction was to suddenly decide that all oh, the males were redundant and that spread. And the only thing that kept, prevented Yorick from experiencing that was the, like, the interaction with uh, Ampersand and his feces yeah. being injected with the stuff uh, in the lab that helped sort of prevent him from being affected. But then there's a moment later where it gets mentioned after the tragic death of (laughs) 350 which is I was going to say more so than that ending just for me like the most emotionally sort of like heavy moment and gutted moment was when they kind of have that moment especially the well preceded by the fact that you get Beth being honest about the fact that she was going to dump him yeah uh, before the story started And, uh, and then him going back to her and the shot ringing out and just the look on the character's face there as she sort of falls to the ground and him reacting i just thought that whole bit was played
0: out brilliantly which i um, wanted to mention as well you you brought up beth basically he finds her mm-hmm. at the end and she tells him oh he was gonna dump you all along i love yeah. when stories do that i love <laughs> when stories take you on this epic quest or saga or something speaking of saga <laughs> same <laughs> writer great book um but i love when stories set you up with a basic quest and then okay you have a fun time and then they complete their quest by the end of the book and it just it feels nice and it's a good story and but you may not remember it in a few months you know whereas i like when a story does this where you're set up on the quest you spend so much time on the quest and you grow with the character and you learn new things with the character that eventually mm-hmm. the quest doesn't really matter ultimately, and you can see he's not that beat up by the end of it, you know, because he's grown as a person. Um,
1: yeah, it's so it's the journey, not the destination. That's the that's the cliche, isn't it? Yeah,
0: yeah, hundred yeah. <laughs> percent. Um, and I, I yeah, I just enjoy when when stories do that when they shift your focus a little bit um, from what's mm-hmm. what the formula, the important thing is in the formula, if you know what I mean. Um,
1: yeah, because because there, there is a mention of after that of after her death. Of um, another reason for the plague being that the Americans had done it uh, yeah. as a political move against the Chinese to stop their males from breeding and that it had a chain reaction and caused like a tragic event across the entire globe to occur and that 350 had been going along trying to cover up the tracks of the evidence of that event mm-hmm. Um so it could be that either, either was true throughout the whole thing. Yeah. Um, but Because uh, I was trying to think how that would work with all the stuff with Alison and her dad then and what's... But I think from their point of view, if that was the case, then they would have been oblivious to the fact that that's what... They they probably timed it so that if they were to have done that as a as a government organisation, they did it at the time where they had a cover story which would have been to have waited for the first clone child to be born and then to have released it. Yeah as a means to kind of, like, cover their own story. But uh, I don't know. The stuff with uh, the uh, IDF, like, that... I enjoyed that aspect of it. And mm-hmm. uh, I mean, they made they made an interesting sort of... I guess they aren't really villains, because they're not really villains in this story, are they? But yeah. I guess they're trying to think of, like, who could be the anti- the grand antagonist against Jorik or something, and the fact that it is, like, who are, like, the most militarised sort of race of women out there. Yeah. And so the Israeli Defence Force are going to be the, yeah. the choice yeah. for him as a writer to sort of choose them. And that was interesting, but I felt like some of that stuff didn't engage me necessarily as much as the rest of the story. There were, kind
0: of... there, Yeah, there were some subplots that I kind of lost interest in and I don't even remember now. Like, I I wouldn't quite remember everything that the IDF soldier goes through, especially the one that we spend mm-hmm. the most time with. I can't remember her name now. Alter, I think her name is. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But again, I felt like... Obviously this was a 60 issue run and that was another thing I wanted to ask as well how how did you find the reading experience of reading it and not waiting for each chapter monthly like people did when it originally came out do you think you would have had a different experience with it spending 6 years with it you know
1: <laughs> yeah definitely i mean my uh, from from my perspective my experience of reading comics is that type of experience generally anyway yeah. i've never i've never been the type of person to experience comics through like the waiting of the release of an issue yeah. and like being that loyal to kind of like go along sort of like month by month or whatever but uh yeah i've uh, i've always experienced them in kind of like ready to go yeah <laughs> sit and binge form so yeah. Uh, Instant gratification. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I only accept instant gratification <laughs> and nothing else. I do not have
0: the patience to wait for things here, Dean. This is why I have Netflix and Amazon Prime now. <laughs> um, no, but yeah. I think because for me, at times when we were getting towards the end, I found some of the time jumps a bit jolty and I was a bit, it was a bit jarring. I didn't quite know mm-hmm. sometimes. Right, so when when are we now? Hold, on. I had to kind of flip back. Because I have the story in that massive tome with all 60 issues, all 1,500 pages in one book. And I read it in a few days, yeah. you know. Um, So I inhale the story within less than a week, you know. Whereas I know mm-hmm. some people had been maybe waiting for the paperback editions of, like, I think there's five of them. So maybe reading them every year or something. Or the real comic nerds aficionados who bought the single issues once a month for six years or however long it was i can't imagine doing that i've i've never really done that and i've read (laughs) comics you know um i'm usually one who waits for the the physical collected edition books to come out um but i i would Mm -hmm. wonder would the experience be different reading it over that space of time would the the journey itself be more impactful if you spent more time with it you know
1: and uh, i best mention it because you mentioned it when you made the selection before, but um, there's a, excitingly a TV series of this coming along, isn't there? There uh, is
0: indeed, yeah. Um, yeah, that'll be cool. I'm really looking forward to that. Unfortunately, the the young man, my young fellow countryman who was cast in the lead role, um, Barry Keon, he had to drop out.
1: He, ah, right, so that's why I was seeing him on a search, because I was actually very excited, because I saw who is cast as Yorick, and I love the actor who left cast.
0: He is great, but apparently there's some sort of scheduling conflict, and he had to drop out, like, a month or two ago, I think it was. So they are currently without an actor for Yorick, but it's all, I think it's all
1: written, I think. That's where I'm confused, because, like, I... I saw the actor that you mentioned, the Irish actor. Yeah, Barry Cowan, yeah. I I know who you mean, like I've seen him in quite a few films and TV and stuff, and he is brilliant. But I'm excited because of who I currently see casted, which is a guy called Ben Schnetzer.
0: Oh, so they sorry, they did they did find somebody else. I am yeah. not up to
1: date. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he's a he was. Um, anything I've seen him in, he has just stolen the film. Like he's so so good. He was a he's one of the programmers that um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character meets in the movie Snowden. He's brilliant okay. in that, and uh, he's one of the wizards. Uh, again, he's like just ten times better than the movie itself. In the World of Warcraft, he was in that as well, and he steals that. And he's in um, a really great British film, a small film called Pride, which is kind of like about the mining community yeah. and uh, yeah, like a gay protesters um, meeting together uh, to go on a march and stuff. And sorry, that's a very terrible <laughs> description of the movie Pride, but it's a great film, and he's brilliant in it. And the he Riot was in Club. The,
0: um... uh, He's yeah. in the uh, the Harry Kubert affair uh miniseries, I think. Did you watch that? Okay. I've I've never seen that, no. You should give that a yeah. go. You should give that a cool. go. Cool, let's go check
1: that out. Um, but yeah, he's brilliant. I I I I've absolutely loved him in anything I've seen him in and I'm very yeah. excited that they would have cast him because like cool. to okay. me he's a total chameleon. Like he's one of those actors yeah. who is like just immediately charismatic in any role that he's in mm-hmm. and it embodies the character as well, brilliantly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So it's going to be a show on FX and it's just called Y. Mm-hmm. And um, I am pretty sure the last time I checked a couple of months ago that it was all written and they're ready to go. I don't know if it's if they're just filming the pilot, I don't know if it's f- like full series ordered already, but I'm just excited to see it adapted on them, um, especially. As a TV show. I wouldn't want to see it as a movie, I don't think, because there's way too much stuff to pack in there. Yeah, you can't do it. Yeah, yeah I don't think it's doable. Um
1: a little a little spin off that I would have loved to have seen was the um you meet these characters really briefly in one scene. Uh they're called the Last Girls or something, I think. A little group of teenage girls that are going around they like steal their car at one stage. Uh, I don't remember that. Do you not? They kind of like stick them up at one stage and they're just like these girls that are wandering around Los Angeles and they just think they're going to be like really vulnerable and stuff and they just turn out to be a bunch of badasses <laughs> and they just uh, fuck them over and disappear. But they're, they're just like a cool little cool little gang of girls and I just thought like, oh, that'd be fun. I'd like to little see a little Last Girls spin off.
0: <laughs> uh, I don't know. Have you read um, Paper Girls? I've not. No. So um, it's not going to be my reckon- recommendation this time because I have another thing in my head, but... So Brian K. Vaughan, for anybody who doesn't know, um right, I'll give everybody a little bit of a background on Brian K. Vaughan. He's one of my favorite writers, right? He kind of made his name as a comic book writer, but got it kind of got made it big time as one of the main writers for Lost. Um, now think what you want about Lost. Lost is one of my favorite TV shows, so that's all good in my books. But he also wrote quite possibly one of the most critically acclaimed comic series of all time saga and then another small one that he wrote was paper girls which came out before stranger things i might add and is very mm-hmm. stranger things e <laughs> uh, so okay. it's a it's for young teenage girls maybe like between 13 and 15 or something who i think there's a new girl in town and they're doing she's just joining their paper Route, as Americans would say. So they're trolling paper into people's front gardens in the 1980s, right? Really, Mm -hmm. you can already imagine the kind of tone and vibe of it. Very, again, full of pop culture references and, you know, all that funky, fun 80s stuff. Uh, It's kind of why I like Brian K. Vaughan as a writer. He does a lot of that in his writing. But Paper Girls, I thought, is what Stranger Things should have been. Because the first season of Stranger Things I thought was great. Second season I'm like, okay, it's good. I enjoy it. Please come up with something new. And by whatever we're on now season four, something like we're we're beating a dead horse here now, you know? But Paper Girls is cool. You should give it a read if you liked uh if you awesome. liked Y okay. and Saga.
1: But well, my I accidentally came across Brian K. Vaughan before like I'm I wouldn't have been until recently mm-hmm. that you were making recommendations with Saga and the other things, but like when you mentioned that and I did check out Saga prior to this, yeah. Uh, I'd accidentally a couple of years before stumbled across a webcomic called The Private Eye. Oh that Private I really enjoyed. Yeah. yeah. And I read that and I had no idea that it was him at all yeah. until like having a chat with you and a friend about him as a writer and all the stuff that he'd done and then I looked back and was like oh no way he actually he's wrote that, uh, so versatile. that comic
0: as well he's so versatile there's one book of his that I haven't read I know we're going on a bit of a tangent here but there's mm-hmm. one book of his that I haven't read yet that I want to read is actually called Ex Machina no relation to the movie whatsoever it came out about okay. 20 years ago it, it came out post 9/11 and it's quite a political comic so I hear I haven't read it yet but they're also adapting that into a movie funnily enough with Oscar Isaac <laughs> but, they're, right, okay. but they're not calling it x- Mac Has <laughs> how's that in his contract yeah uh, <laughs>
1: only star in movies with the title
0: <laughs> x <Ex> Machina. <laughs> um, I think they changed the title for the film to The Great Machine or something and that's another one that I want to read and it, I hear it's a little controversial it's a bit, yeah, controversial politically driven um, and of course anything political will be a bit controversial and Brian K Vaughan isn't one to mince words in his dialogue either so I'm mm-hmm. kind of excited to read that as well Cool. So to wrap up the show for today, um, obviously going forward, Dean, we agreed that we're only going to do, we're going to take turns swapping each show. Yeah, we're
1: less greedy with our choices, less choices for you listeners.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So we have more time then to talk about each individual pick that we have each month and we decided this month for the next show, I will recommend something to you. And just for a little bit of variety, a little bit of a challenge too, to get it done in a month, if you have mm-hmm. time, I'm going to suggest a nice old novel for you, Dean. Oh, okay. Um, It is one of my favourite books. It's not a work of art by any stretch of the imagination, but it's one of my favourite writers. And it's definitely my cup of tea. And it's called Recursion by Blake Crouch. Okay. And to give you a little bit of info or deets on it, I'm just gonna read the blurb. My son has been erased. Those are the last words the woman tells Barry Sutton before she leaps from the Manhattan rooftop. Deeply unnerved, Barry begins to investigate her death, only to learn that this wasn't an isolated case. All across the country, people are waking up to lives different from the ones they fell asleep to. Are they suffering from false memory syndrome? A mysterious new disease that afflicts people with vivid memories of a life they had never lived, or is something far more sinister behind the fracturing of reality all around him. Miles away, neuroscientist Helena Smith is developing a technology that allows us to preserve our most intense memories and relive them. If she succeeds, anyone will be able to re-experience a first kiss or the birth of a child. Barry's search for truth Leads him on an impossible, astonishing journey as he discovers that Helena's work has yielded a terrifying gift. Mm -hmm. Cool. So,
1: like the sound of that? This getting Philip K. Dick vibes and uh,
0: definitely hundred percent
1: Charlie (laughs)
0: Kaufman-esque. Yeah, very, very sci-fi, very multiple reality, possible thing going on, and definitely my cup of tea. Blake Crouch, Blake Crouch, for one. Um, is the writer of the Wayward Pines trilogy of novels. Okay. Which was adapted into a TV show starring... What is his name? Matt Dillon? Is, it, is that his oh, name? okay. Um, which was also very futuristic, dystopia-type sci-fi. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's a very quick read. Hopefully it doesn't put you under too much pressure but now coming up to Christmas. For most people. For most people. <laughs> Listeners... Uh,
1: if you're anything like me, I'm a very slow <laughs> reader, but I will try my best to squeeze that in before our next episode for you. And hopefully you'll manage to do the same as well.
0: <laughs> Splendid. I hope, cool. I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, cool. we'll
1: do. Look forward to reading that. Uh, we'll get it done in time. As said. Um, we'll see.
0: We're coming up to Christmas.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and who knows? We I keep mentioning specials at the end of things these days, but... Uh, uh, we have to do a Christmas special maybe a yeah. Christmas special yeah, yeah, possibly not as long as our other specials but we'll squeeze something
0: in for you we have to talk about Die Hard and Home Alone <laughs> and <the> Santa Claus <laughs> yeah, and definitely. Jingle All The Way <laughs> my tubo man <laughs> so we'll leave it there for another for another month for another show thanks again for listening guys I hope you can join us and read the, read the novel we'll see you again in a month's time possibly for a Christmas special bye 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 guys Thank you.